I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we are coming to you from the Kodo at the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for September 5th, 2008, and our topic today is suffering. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Dharma Realm Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed your summer and your August off, but it's September, so we're back with suffering. Yes. <laughs> what better way to start? We're on kind of an academic calendar here, uh, so we're considering ourselves, I guess, September is kind of starting over again, so why not start with, with suffering, one of the basic uh, concepts in Buddhism. Uh, it's kind of an interesting one, I think, because it's partly responsible maybe for a kind of uh, uh, making Buddhism seem pessimistic, potentially. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been a criticism uh, leveled against Buddhism in the past, at times, at by times. certain groups. Right. Uh, that Buddhism, uh, by saying that life is suffering, that um, it's pessimistic and negative, right? And so we want to... Uh, look into that a little bit more. Should we? Should I read the quote about that? Sure, please do. Um, hopefully I can find it very quickly, which apparently is not true. <laughs> we can always edit it out later. <clears throat> this is what stickies are for. Right. Well, you know, I didn't have time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is uh, a quote from the ever-popular... What the Buddha Taught by Wapola Rahula. <laughs> Classic. Um, and the quote says that the first noble truth is generally translated by almost all scholars as, quote, the noble truth of suffering um, and is interpreted to mean that life, according to Buddhism, is nothing but suffering and pain. Both translation and interpretation are highly unsatisfactory and misleading. Uh-huh. It is because of this limited free and easy translation and its superficial interpretation that people, many people have been misled into regarding Buddhism as pessimistic. And then he goes on to say, first of all, Buddhism is neither pessimistic nor optimistic. If anything at all, it is realistic. Uh Uh-huh. I like that. (laughs) A man after my own heart. (laughs) So that's a good point. Um, First of all, that uh, suffering the truth of suffering is in the Four Noble Truths. Mm-hmm. It's the first of the Four Noble Truths. And uh, as such, it's often the first thing that people hear about Buddhism. Sure. Right? What is Buddhism? And you say, oh, well, there's a Four Noble Truths, and the first one is life is suffering. <laughs> and they hear that, and they're like, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Right? So often... It was exactly think, my opposite reaction. <laughs> oh, really? That's what drew you in? Oh, yeah. But only because I first came across Buddhism when I was um, an angry young teenager. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, someone said that the Buddha said life is suffering, and I was like, oh, well, obviously. <laughs> well, that's a good point, too, that, you know, we, it's, it's often I think we think, well, people want to hear about Buddhism in this way, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got to be careful not to, to 
trust our own opinions about what we think people want to hear uh, either. So oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we uh, go on? So that also addresses the difficulty of uh, translating the term, the mm-hmm. original Pali or, or uh, later Sanskrit term. So the Pali is dukkha. And the Sanskrit is subtly different because it has the aspirated H before the K, so dukkha. <laughs> uh, but dukkha, I think a lot of people are, some people are familiar with this, not on the level of karma or uh, Buddha or Dharma, mm-hmm. uh, but I think people that have studied Buddhism a bit um, are often familiar with this term. Yeah, and I, and I see people trying to use dukkha in place of suffering for these reasons that we're talking about right, right, um, right. in in. Uh, it hasn't quite caught on like karma yeah, has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think it will either. That's just my own opinion. But so yeah, it's norm. It's often been translated as suffering. Mm-hmm. Maybe even normally translated as suffering. Uh, but I've also heard it uh, translated as unsatisfactoriness mm-hmm. or dissatisfaction, uh, to use a different part of speech. Uh, unrest. Unrest. That's a good one. Another one that I found. Uh, Ill, meaning more like ill at ease, maybe. This kind of like, uh, Japanese would be fuan, this kind of like something's not quite right, right? right, right. That you can never rest, right? So that's that unrest idea. Another one is interesting is dis-ease, mm-hmm. which is similar to disease, right? But is uh, So you can see something in there that there's some kind of something's not right, right. Uh, but also that you're not at ease, right? Uh, so these are some uh, possibilities that people have given uh, to translate... Dukkha. But I think that suffering is okay, too, in certain cases. And we'll get into that later. Uh, but um, there, cause suffering, I think, part of it is that it seems like very... Uh, it's strong. It's a strong yeah, word, uh, yeah. suffering. Well, it's also got the English connotations, because usually, I, in, in my understanding of the word suffering, is that it implies that you're suffering from something or by something, or somebody is causing you to be suffering, or there's some other, you know agency to it whereas to me dukkha just points to this sort of unsatisfactory feeling that permeates life which is not necessarily less heavy i guess right but it's still not quite sure where i'm going with this but it seems mm-hmm. like like suffering has this this idea that you're suffering because of something outside of yourself right. or that it's An not or, right yeah. right or it's something you can sort of overcome and get rid of completely and entirely mm-hmm. I'm hinting at something, I feel like. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Right. <laughs> so I think one of the key things, too, is, is in the Four Noble Truths is that, yes, the number one is life is suffering. But if you stop there, yeah, it's totally pessimistic. Right, right. right? But Buddhism teaches us, well, why is life suffering? The second noble truth, the cause of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third noble truth, uh, the cure, right, what to do. Uh, and so the second one would be, well, suffering is caused. The, I, my impression is that the, the classical uh, formulation is suffering is caused by desire right. or attachment or blind desire. Uh, but I've also seen it um, given as suffering is caused by ignorance, which isn't, I haven't seen that in like an actual text from, you know, the, the first sermon of the Buddha, but right. I, we can get there. We'll get into that later too. Yeah, this, uh, yeah I, have some, I have some stuff about that. Okay. And then the <laughs> third one is the key maybe that by removing desire or by removing the cause of suffering, one can remove suffering. Yes. So that to me is interesting because then it's, it's saying, yes, 
normal, ignorant life, unawakened life is suffering or, or dissatisfactory. But that can change. Mm. There is uh, a way to turn that around so that you aren't um, living this life mere, merely suffering or uh, merely living this life of dissatisfaction. Yeah. And then the fourth noble truth is follow the eightfold path right. or follow the path. So, hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Go for it. Well, um, I, I guess that, that for me that brings up the question of, well, the third noble truth is the, the solution to suffering, which is nirvana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? That's the third noble truth is that you can overcome suffering and attain this other state of existence for lack of a whole sermon on what nirvana means. Um, but it seems to me, again, going back to things we've talked about in previous episodes of our little podcast, is, you know, if the solution to a life without suffering is nirvana, how realistic of a goal is that? Uh, uh, uh. Right? I mean, who here has attained nirvana? Right, right. <laughs> really just, you know, just the Buddhas. So that bring to me, the third noble truth brings up a whole host of very complicated questions mm-hmm. about the nature of enlightenment and the nature of human unenlightened life. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Does that, cause really, I mean, you know, if, if the solution to, you know, if, if the only way to get rid of suffering is to become fully enlightened, well, wow. <laughs> right, and to cut off desire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cut off ignorance. Well, remember too, this is from the first sermon of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. This is, he's attained an awakening. Uh, he's stood up from the seat and gone off to teach. Uh, the first person he encounters uh, asks him, wow, you, what's up with you? You seem to be, have gotten right. somewhere. Something happened. And the Buddha like gives this whole thing of, I am the best and I've attained the highest enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, eh, that could be true and leaves. <laughs> That's actually the first person that the um, the Buddha encounters. I love that. And story. then, uh, and then he goes and he meets the people he was um, his fellow ascetic practitioners that he left. Right. And at first they're kind of standoffish because they're like, ah, "There's that wimp. Yeah. yeah, he broke the rules and he couldn't hack it." But then they're they're kind of like, yeah, "But he looks pretty special. Let's go wash his feet and right." And so they go through the whole thing. And then he teaches them. He preaches this um, this um, the middle way, right? Which is his four noble truths. So when you look at it in that sense, I mean, and they became context, monks, right? Yeah, and yeah. in that context, yeah, it's a high level teaching. A lot of times we say, yeah, Four Noble Truths, basic Buddhism. But in a way, it's like, it's, it's up there. It's like, th- right. there's no, um, it's middle way, but it's pretty intense, huh? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the way to emancipation. Right. Right. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, well, this is not, this is serious stuff. Mm-hmm. This is really serious stuff. You know, if you really follow the Four Noble Truths to the letter and just ignored everything else in Buddhism, um, that's still pretty transformative, powerful teachings. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that your life is fundamentally dissatisfying. Here's the reason why and here's what you can do about it. Oh, and what you can do about it is totally radically changing your life and your perspective on everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah. mean, I think it's it's it's... It's important stuff. Yeah, yeah. So let's dwell on on dukkha and his translations for a second. Okay. You, what do you have besides all? You have that whole list, right? Oh, I've got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's that the 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 the, uh, the attempts at translations of the word mm-hmm. dukkha, 
And then um, I've got some of the, the, the lists, uh, the classic lists, but um, do you have any other thoughts on just the translation itself? Um, well, I, I, it probably, we probably should mention something about the, the, the chariot wheel, right? That's the, okay. the, one of the common things people say about the word dukkha is that it comes from this word that originally had to do with a, a chariot wheel spinning on an axis. And the implication was that the axis wasn't greased properly so that the wheel wasn't quite turning quite right. And it's this idea that there's some sort of friction that's just sort of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not, something's off. Yeah. Huh. And I think I, when I, I like that idea of dukkha as being that life is just sort of kind of off, you know, like that's, I think, more palatable, particularly mm -hmm. to a Westerner's ears. But I'm with you. I sort of like the idea that suffering is actually a pretty good, a pretty good translation. <laughs> <laughs> it might be harsh and, and, and difficult to hear, but, you know, I think that when we when we start really looking at what Dukkha is really talking about, it it starts to make more and more sense, and and calling it suffering is really quite accurate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to uh, this fun little book. Um, it's called Buddhism A to Z, which I have some strange opinions about. <laughs> but of it was course. also edited by a professor of mine from from when I was in college. Oh, cool. So I have some affinity for it as well, but. Um, He's got, and, he, they, and the interesting thing about this dictionary, this glossary of Buddhism, is that the word dukkha actually isn't in here anywhere. Mm -hmm. They just have suffering. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I thought was very strange. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but under suffering, there's this wonderful list of the different kinds of suffering. I think you have some of the same stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the eight different kinds of suffering. Right. And the first four are from the Buddha's life, right? The suffering of uh, birth, old age, sickness, and death. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you have? Yep. That's, um, I think there's, there's one list uh, of the four sufferings. Mm -hmm. And then in Chinese and Japanese, there's a list of the four sufferings, the eight sufferings. Right. Shiku, right. Haku. Uh, and so, yeah, the four sufferings are, I think, a list in themselves. Mm -hmm. they, they can stand on their own, right? Of the, um, uh, that birth is suffering, um, old age is suffering, uh, sickness is suffering, and then death is suffering. Right. And that's the four sights uh, that, well, not the fourth. The four sights can be kind of overlaid on this, right? right when, except for birth, right? Right, From right, right. The, the, the life story of the Buddha. Right, right. right. Yeah, so that when he um, was still in the palace yeah. before he'd renounced the, 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 uh, the, that life, that he saw an old person, a sick person, a dead person, and, and then, then something else, right. whether it's a mendicant pointing the way to that way of life right. or I've also heard um, the people toiling in the fields and you could see that they were killing insects and oh, um, that they were killing right, living right, beings right. by doing that and you saw that human life required taking other life yeah. so there's other there's different versions of, of those four sites hmm. but um, I think we can see the old age sickness and death right uh, from there right and that's where I begin before we go on uh, that's where I begin I can see it as suffering uh -huh. in a way because yeah, sickness is painful. Right. We're going to get sick. Yeah. And you will get sick at various times in your life. Yeah. And it's painful. And old age, um, in my church, I have a lot of um, people who are, you know, 70 and up. Yeah. You don't even have to be 70, right, to, right. to begin to feel the effects. But, but um, right, many of them are running around and, you know, in fantastic condition. But others, sure. you know, it's like um, they, they, you know, they always tell me, don't get old, sensei. 
don't get old. <laughs> okay, I'll try. But that's funny <laughs> because late. we kind of we kind of hope to get old, right? I mean, <laughs> we younger. kind of hope to live a very long life, which necessarily means we're eventually going to get old. Right, right, right. You can't live a very long life if you don't get old. That's inevitable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is part of that realistic thing, you mm-hmm. know. Realistically, sensei, you're going to get old. <laughs> right, right. Don't do it. <laughs> But yeah, I think you're, and then, you know, of course, death, that death is the, the last one, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, that, that other thing that I don't think people like to talk about, right? And don't like to address or bring up. Yeah. Huh? yeah. I'll bring it up. Okay. I like talking about death. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem talking about death. <laughs> okay. So that's the four sufferings. Do you yeah. want to move on to the eight sufferings? Well, the four suffering, the eight sufferings I have include those four. Right. Um, but then it has these other four. The first one being the suffering being apart from those you love, which I'm, I'm sure most people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the next one I really like, and that yeah. is the suffering of being together with those you hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like this one uh, for a lot of reasons, but because there's, there's, I'm sure, people that you find dissatisfying. <laughs> Which is one of those ways I, I prefer to, to say uncongenial. <laughs> right. Just kidding. Those experiences. But I think that it's also interesting when I think about the aversion people have to talking about death or the aversion people have to using the word suffering or, you know, the aversion people have to the, quote, pessimistic aspects of Buddhism. To me, that kind of proves the point. Mm-hmm. Is that the Buddha's not making this claim that these are uncomfortable, horrible things we shouldn't talk about. Like Rahula says... He's just being realistic, right? And that in a way, like our version to talking about things that makes us uncomfortable is itself a kind of suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's one of these kinds of suffering. Uh, uh-huh. We're uncomfortable talking about, this about death. We're uneasy. We're uneasy, right? right? We don't want to talk about death, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. or particularly in this culture where we have a strong aversion to death or to sickness or old age. You know, we put old people in rest homes. We don't want to talk about them. and It's really uncomfortable. Like, well, that's suffering. That's the very definition of suffering, mm-hmm. having to deal with things that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha. Interesting. Ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> you got him. <laughs> and then the last two. Yeah, the next one is good. Yeah. Huh. Uh, what is, what's the translation given there? Uh, the suffering of not obtaining what you seek. Yeah. Or unfulfilled wishes. Unfulfilled desires. Uh, another yeah. uh, translation that I found. That makes sense. I mean, that's that's getting to the desire right. part, right? Right, and that the feeling that if only I had a new computer, right, then right. things would be better. Right, really then I could iPod. be happy. Right, yeah. <laughs> if I only had the iPod with forty gigabytes instead of just eight or sixteen or whatever, right, right, right. then I could have my entire one hundred and twenty. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then I could have my whole CD collection on there, and then then I wouldn't like be. Oh, you didn't much a bigger iPod for your CD collection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then, then I'd be you have to get more iPods. Right. <laughs> you know, and the interesting thing is I had an iPod when they first came out and I was in Japan mm-hmm. and I had a lot of music on there and I would catch myself walking around wanting to listen to something and there was nothing I wanted to listen to on there. Right, I couldn't right. believe it. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> this has so much music on it and there's yeah. nothing I want to listen to. It's not satisfying me. Yeah. So I've had that experience with music since I was in high school. Of just have it because I love music and I would collect music and have, you know, dozens, hundreds, you know, progressively more CDs and then, you know, MP3 tracks, whatever, on and on and on and all the time. 
I don't really feel like listening to any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need something else. Yeah. There's something else out there that right. if I could get, then right. I'd be satisfied right, right now. Right? right. And that's partly our culture. A hundred yeah. years ago, people couldn't collect music the way we collect right. now. A hundred right. years ago, you had to either listen to someone else perform it or perform it yourself. Sure. Right. And so it's part of our consumer culture with records and right. seven inches and MP3s and everything, huh? Yeah. But if we were to get rid of all that, I'm sure there would be something else that we would be desiring and yeah. not being able to attain. Mm. You know, two and a half millennia ago, the Buddha said that one of the things that causes suffering is not being able to, you know, fulfill those desires. So there's always going to be something, you know, whether it's music or food or a better job or more money mm-hmm. or, you know, a person or whatever it might happen to be. There's always that thing that you think, oh, if I can only do this next thing. Mm-hmm then things will be better. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, at this particular point in my life, I feel like if I could only finish this next project, then I can take a break. I can relax. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay, I just finished a project, and now 14 more projects came. <laughs> <laughs> There's always, you know, this desire to not have projects and have time, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. to time to waste, but it's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah. There's that continual, ah, if I could only get to that next thing. Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's profound. I mean, I think that's partly why people like this basic Buddhism stuff, Four Noble Truths or whatever, because it, it really does speak to us on a fundamental level, right? Um, even in our modern society. Uh, and it doesn't feel like something, uh, yeah, that's, that's old-fashioned. That doesn't have anything to do with us now, right? It's like, no, it totally speaks right, to us. Right. If not more so, it just seems like it was for us, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. This, this list of eight sufferings is interesting. I'm not sure where it comes from. Uh, I didn't get that far, uh, but it's pretty much accepted, I think, now as a um, as a kind of a standard list. It's not in that first sermon, right? Right. And, well, according um, to this, it's from the Flower Adornment Sutra. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I'm, okay. It, now, from the Flower Adornment Sutra, that sutra probably got it from some earlier text. So Maybe. I th- yeah. Think yeah, that yeah, the yeah. the Flower Adornment Sutra is one of those sutras that has that borrows from earlier, but from like the. Um, the uh, Paramita Sutras, right? Oh, Paramita, the, the Prajna Paramita. Yes, that, right, yes. Right, right. So, right. I'm sure it's somewhere else in there, but yeah, yeah. But according to this book, okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting. And that's a hard book to go hunting, trying to find something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we do number eight? Number eight's hard. So number eight is hard. It. No, f- I think we should at least think about it. I like this translation. The five raging skandhas. The five raging skandhas. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. I have the suffering of the scorching blaze of the five skandhas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Scorching blaze. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, I, you know, I don't often think about the five skandhas as being scorching or blazing. Right, right, right. Or right. raging. Or raging. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, which brings that question of, of what the five skandhas are. Oh, you were going to bring that up, weren't you? <laughs> Uh, rupa, material qualities, sensation, perception, consciousness, and vijnana. <gasps> is maybe perception? No, what is no vijnana is consciousness, isn't it? Oh yeah, samskaras is complexes of consciousness. Sorry. Right, right, right. And rupa is form. Form, yeah. And the five skandhas. To do the brief overview, the five skandhas are the five constituent elements of our lives, and that. This is fits into the whole no self doctrine, basically saying that no one of these five things can exist without the other four. 
And if you take away one of them, then you no longer have an existence as a human being, and therefore there is no permanent everlasting self. Right, and the self can't be found in any one of those. Right. Either, right? right. And they're impermanent. Right. That's right. another key, I think. Because form yeah. is basically your body, and then there's consciousness, which is, you know, you can't have consciousness without the body, and, you know, so on. Right, right, right. And consciousness arises because of perceptions, and so on and so forth. And it's always bubbling away, and... Right. Uh, Raging away, I guess. Apparently, is, it sounds a little. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, our scandals are raging. Yeah, <laughs> and blazing. Yeah, scorching us. Cool. So, what does that mean? What the with the raging? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What's this with the raging and the burning <laughs> and the? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think that I can. Well, I should we read some more of the book? See what they say about the five scandals raging. Sure. Um. Wow. Well, this just says the skandhas are form, feeling, cognition, formations, and consciousness. They tie you up and you have no freedom. The yeah. five skandhas are as severe as a huge blaze. They consume you to the point that you burn to death. And so this is suffering. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think it's that there were always, whether it's stimulus or our body or whatever, it's always, there's always stuff happening. Right. And we never get to rest. Right, right. There's never a time when we're as long as we're unawakened, right? Where we're just calm and happy, right? It's always firing off and we're always chasing after things and um, seeing things and that's causing attachment and, right? right. So, yeah. Hmm. Man, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Dharma Realm Podcast. Tune in again for part two. Mm-hmm.